Well, it's been a while since I've actually recorded a message, and so I thought I would record this one. And I wanted to welcome this CD program. In fact, let me just say this. You know, I want to welcome Bertha Martin, Janice Liu. We miss Janice Liu. At the, uh, we used to see them at the feast, the Liu family. I'd like to welcome Kevin Stoll. Uh, he's, uh, we sort of correspond on the uh, internet uh, across through Facebook, and I really appreciate him because he is always sharing uh, the YouTube videos that I upload. I'd like to welcome Kevin. Uh, Harry Link, also, I'd like to welcome Harry. We've corresponded by letters before. Barry Whitlow, everybody knows Barry Whitlow, I believe. Donna Walker, uh, welcome her. Jan Ann, Jane Ann Baker, uh, Rebecca Freeman, who is that? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that's my daughter, and uh, or our daughter, I'd like to welcome her. Tommy Willett, boy, I miss Tommy. I always thought a lot of Tommy and miss seeing him. Kathy Price, Randy Lou, again, the Lou family, I'd like to see them again. Ken Hatfield. Boy, you know, he used to come down here, and I got a lot out of his messages. Patricia Johnson, she's been by here before, and just welcome her. Gerald Wingfield, now this is an old friend of mine. We go way back, and uh, he does the same type of work that, I, that we do. I guess you could say he's our competition, or we're his competition, however you want to look at that. <laughs> um, but you need that in a free market, you know, and you need competition, whatever. It drives prices down, I guess. Uh, what good is that? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it definitely drives prices down, competition. Kristen and uh, Kevin and Kristen Crow, a uh, couple, they're planning on being uh, uh, baptized at the feast this year. They made a request. They said, I want you to baptize us. <laughs> Mary Potter, we miss her. Welcome her. Myron Johnson. Uh, Wayne Kendricks, welcome him to the tape program or CD program, and Greta Brown. just want to mention that because sometimes when you record messages and send them out, it's not very personal, just a bunch of names, and you mail it out, you put the postage on it, and you never see these people. You, you can't connect a face to it. So I'd just like to you know, just say to each one to welcome them. And it's, it's nice to know that when you speak, you're not just speaking to a small crowd, but you're speaking to more people. More people will eventually hear your voice, and that's good to know. Uh, the title of this message is The Underdog, and I told Greg that, and he said, what, that uh, Disneyland, uh, you remember the underdog? I mean, it was, I don't know, what was it? It was a, a cartoon. Yeah, a dog with a cape. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> the underdog people, the definition is uh, people subjected to oppression, loss, or suffering. And truth of the matter is that some, well, it's probably already happened to you, but at some time in your life, you will be the underdog. It comes in cycles. Things will come your way out of left field. You weren't expecting it. You didn't know it. You didn't want it to happen. But you just end up, because of circumstances in your life, you end up being an underdog. And it's never very pleasant when you're the underdog, but it happens to us all. I think we ought to have underdog moments in church. Because I, <laughs> I say this because sometimes I think, as a group, we may be a little bit unaware when a person is an underdog. It's like we don't care. Big deal. So what if you're going to that? 
Let's talk about me. <laughs> I think it'd be nice. Of course, Esther's not here, but have you know, say, say, Esther, get up here for five minutes and tell us what it's like to have Parkinson. I asked her recently. I said, "What's the worst thing about that disease?" And she said, "What I thought she would say: the shaking." You know, Tim's not here either. But Tim, get up here five minutes and tell us what it was like for your nephew to commit suicide. What did it feel like? What kind of experience? What did you feel when that happened? Angela, get up here and tell us what it was like to see your mother lose her mind. Mike, get up here and tell us. Take five minutes and tell us what it was like when your daughter was sick, and you were wondering. And what's going to happen here? Greg, you know, you tell us what it's like. Maybe you can still tell us this. To <laughs> not have any work. And, and <laughs> you know, a man wants to provide for his family. And when he's not able to, he doesn't. You know, sometimes we don't feel like a man because we can't, we can't do what we need and know we should be doing. You know, to share that with one another. You know, the underdog. Because we all go through stages where we're the underdog. And I'm not talking about getting up here and glorifying the self. I'm not talking about getting up here and saying... You know, me and God, we're like two peas in a pod, and I got unshakable faith. Because I can't relate to that. I can't relate to unshakable faith. I can relate to your weakness, your struggle. I can relate to that. Now, there was a movie that I enjoyed very much. It was Rambo. <laughs> first Blood. And the movie, it has, the first movie has a lot of cursing in it. And I wish I had one of those things where you could take that out. The second movie didn't have any cursing. The third, they, they, but this first one had a lot of cursing in it. But if you can get past that, it was a good movie. Rambo was the underdog. He was a hippie, you know, from the Vietnam War and hadn't taken a bath in a week, I guess, and needed a haircut and he didn't have no money. In fact, that's what he got thrown in jail for, vagrancy. He was broke and they threw him in jail. He was an underdog. And in the documentary, it was, I was watching that, and it talked about what made that movie so appealing was that people love it when the underdog comes out on top. There was a movie where he's driving this big old truck, like a two-ton, you know, military truck, and he's, going, and he's coming upon a barricade. You know, they got the road blocked off. And that, he just crashes that truck through it, and the whole thing sort of just bounces off the ground and hits back down. They said in the review when they were running the test runs of this movie, and they do that before they put it out to the public, said the whole audience just stood up and clapped. We, we have a 4,500 ton and a half truck, Chevrolet, and, and it sits up tall. It, it, it will jar your teeth out unless you've got 5,000 pounds of weight on the back of it. Every time I get in there, I say, Teresa, I feel like Rambo when I drive this truck. Because if something got in your way, you just, bam, just knock it out of the way. It's a big old truck. Actually, they said in the documentary that at the end of the movie, you know, Rambo shoots up the whole town. And the colonel comes in to try to talk some sense into the head, his head. And, of course, Rambo, you know, he's crying and all that stuff. You can't understand a word he says, but... Blew his legs off, and I think what? <laughs> they needed a caption. They blew his legs off, and I, that I could understand. I had to watch it ten times to even get that part. Uh, but he's telling his experience in the Vietnam War, and and and. But in the trial run of the movie, one of the tests, the colonel kills him at the end, and they said people just booed it and they hated it because they killed the underdog, and so they changed it so the colonel talks him into surrendering. I didn't know that until I watched the documentary. But they, they run those tests to see how people respond 
to how it plays out. And what made the movie so powerful, they said, people love it when the underdog comes out on top. Well, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. And as you know, Hollywood is not always, not very real, is it? Uh, Truth of the matter is, only in Hollywood do people love it when the underdog comes out on top. It's really not real in real life, is it? In fact, if you're the underdog, probably people don't even notice you. Worse than that, they don't care. You know, I started thinking about that. Jesus, in his first three and a half year ministry, he was an underdog. I mean, he was slaughtered, a lamb that would be killed. Humility. He submitted to, you know, this being murdered, being killed for our, you know, dying for our sins. But in a very real way, he was an underdog the first three and a half years of his ministry. Now, the second part of his ministry, he's not going to be an underdog. He's coming back in the real, you know, Rambo fashion to kick (laughs) you-know-what. But the first part, Christ was really an underdog. And I want to look at this passage here that I think is revealing about the way people respond to the underdog. Mark 9 and verse 31. Mark 9 and verse 31. says, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man... This is Mark 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he's killed, he shall rise the third day. Can you try to grasp what Christ is trying to convey to these men? Think about the emotions. Think about knowing what's coming down the pike. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed by men, and they're going to kill me. Continuing on in verse 32. But they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. Sometimes we're afraid to dig deeper into the subjects of the underdog and what the underdog is going through. They were afraid to ask. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourself by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Typical response toward the underdog. Christ is trying to say something important on his mind, on his heart. They're going to kill me. And what are they talking about? Which one of us is going to be the greatest? (laughs) Me, 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 me. Let's talk about me. Let's not. Christ, that's nothing. They're going to kill you. So what? Let's talk about me. Who's going to be the greatest? Can you wrap your mind around that? It's like we don't even know that people exist. You're the underdog. I don't even know you exist. Get out of my life. It's pathetic when you think about it. This example is pathetic. I'm trying to say, look, they're going to kill me. And they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. It's what you call being self-absorbed in your little world. The carnal mind cannot understand the underdog because it is self-absorbed. Worse than that, the carnal mind doesn't care about the underdog. Ain't got no time for that. (laughs) You know, I have befriended, well, I don't say befriended, but I've been very kind to the underdog. I have a weird gift. It's a gift and a curse. I can feel people's emotions. And you think, well, that's a good thing, David. No, it's not. Because I can feel when you have unworthy motives. And you're doing stuff just to get attention. And you just want somebody to notice you. I can feel that also. 
But it's a weird gift of being... One time there was a guy at the feast. Now, let me tell you how strange it is. The guy was at the feast, the fun show, and the guy wanted to be... He wanted the praise of men. And so he was going to tell some jokes at the feast. Old man. He started telling jokes and no one was laughing. And, and I started... I wanted to crawl underneath the carpet and out. I felt what he should have been feeling. He was making a complete fool of himself. And yet I was feeling his, his, the shame and the embarrassment. I just, it hurt. And I thought, that's how weird it is. It's like, why would I feel what you should be feeling? And why would I pick up on this stuff? I don't even like it. It's a weird, weird gift. Some people, I can't read. I can't read my sister. Strong people put up a wall and you, you don't know their emotions. It's a little bit, it's hard for me to read my wife also. You know, I, I told her one time, I said, Teresa, I don't even know if I know you or not. <laughs> it's easy to, re- to read weak people, their emotions. You know, people, you know, they're crying all over this place, snot running all over, you know, you read, yeah, 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 okay. All right, I see what you're going on, all right. I got you figured out. But some people put up a wall and you can't read them. In school, if, if you, I would pick up if a person was, homely, ugly, male or female, and I knew people made fun of you and, and said, that I could read, that, I could feel that. And I would always make it a point to, to at least smile and speak to the person and ask them a question. Just because I was picking up on that they were the underdog. And I would make a deliberate attempt just to, to say something or just to speak to them. I had a friend, and uh, we'll call him John, I'll change his name. He, John would have been a really nice looking guy, boy, but early in life, I don't know what happened. I never asked him, but he got burnt. His face and arms and hands, scar tissue, he looked like Freddy Krueger. And I know he's an underdog, although I don't think he would have taken a lot from other people at school. I'm sure if people said things about him, and he came to me, and, he, and I, that was back, I, I had my Corvette back then. And we lived in the same area here. And we got out of school both at the same time. We got out of school early. Or either that or I was skipping school. I forget what it was. But we got out early. And he said, can I, can I, would you take me home? Can I ride with you? I said, sure. I took him home the whole rest of the year, me, me and John. I, you know, I don't know what people thought about that. Probably thought, boy, it's weird. But I, I liked the guy. I liked the guy. He was a good guy. Underdog. And then you have family reunions. Now, I hate family reunions. I'd rather be shot than go to a family reunion. And you know, in, in family systems, you always got the black sheep. Always. And you know, it's the guy that's got himself in trouble, done some stupid things. No one understands him. A lot of people don't like him. And I'm at the family reunion, and I see, change his name here, George. I see George. And I know, I know people look at him like, well, he is weird. He is strange. And uh, I'm sitting there on the porch eating my dinner, and I see him coming. And I'm reading his body language. I, I can feel, you know, he's got his plate. And he's pretending like he don't see me. And he is going to walk right by me. This is what I know. He's pretending not to see me, and he's going to walk right by I got that figured out before he, before he even approaches me. I thought, yeah, he's pretending like not to see me, I said, hey. And he turned around, and we sit, and we talked. 
for a half hour about what I don't know and don't care. But you know, I asked him about his truck, his wife, his heart monitor. He's going into operation July 16th to replace that. I asked him a lot of questions about how is he doing and what's he doing. He's an underdog. So I, can, you know, it just, I just feel like it's sort of the right thing to do. The underdog. Now, I want to say, you know, I'm not trying to stroke, you know, my own, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm not trying to <laughs> commend, you know, but, but listen, I am not a people person. I could move up to the mountains, become a hermit, never see another person, be totally content and satisfied. You know, I tolerate people, but I'm nice. I ask them questions. How are you doing? I tolerate people. Is that too hard to do? You know, I don't think it's being a hypocrite. I truly, even though it's an underdog, and you know, I truly care for that person. I don't want to hang out with them necessarily, but I'm going to be kind and nice to that person. So I go back, uh, I go back to Jesus, the, the, the original underdog here. Let's take a look at John 16 and verse 32. John 16 and verse 32, it says, Behold, the hour comes, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. You know, that little statement sort of describes our response to the underdog. Every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Just, just get out of, you know, I don't even acknowledge that you exist. Just, just... Every man to his own and shall leave me alone. No one asks, Jesus, what's it like? What's it like? What does it feel like knowing what you're going to go through? What's it like to carry that burden? You know, you can be alone among friends. You can be alone in a big church. You can, you can have great popularity and still feel alone. Why? Because you are the underdog. And nobody gives a rip. No one cares. I sometimes think people are too stupid and self-absorbed to even ask a legitimate question. Hey, what are you going through? What's it like? Instead, it's things like, well, I watched this television show. I want to tell you about it. Now, here you got this person hurting. Hurting. And I want to talk to you about, I watched Big Brother. What's the connection here? I think, I think we ought to, you know, have an awareness toward the underdog here and be concerned. Luke 6 and verse 31. Luke 6 and verse 31. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also likewise to them. For if you love them which love you, what think have you? I love this statement right here. For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which, is, which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same thing. You know what Christ is saying? You know, Christ often would say things like a wet fish, just like you take a wet fish and just slap someone upside the head. Just, whoosh, you know. Christ is saying, look, look, you idiot. <laughs> sinners love their own. Big deal. How do you develop relationships with people? What is your motive for developing relationships? Is it, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours? 
What can you do for me? You know, I have never, honestly, I don't think I have ever developed a relationship with a person as far as what they could do for me. I just don't think they can do anything for me. <laughs> that may sound arrogant, but ask my wife. You know, ask my wife. She'll tell you. She'll come home. She'll say, David, how did you get that 500-pound wood stove off the bed of the truck, through the breezeway, in the house, and mount it on the uh, hearth that's a foot off the ground? Why didn't you ask for help? And I said, you know, it's like, well, it nearly killed me, but I, I just, I just... You know, I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm not grateful for what people do for me. I'm just saying my relationship is not built on what you can do for me. I just don't, you know, it's not an issue. Why are we oblivious to the underdog? To understand them, to, or even to listen to them. I, I've wondered about this. And I got a little story here I want you to look at that is, I think explains it. Luke 18 and verse 9. Luke 18 and verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Notice this, and despised others. You want to underline that verse, that little segment. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but they despised others. Who do you despise? Who do you despise? And while I'm asking that question, is it true that you call yourself a Christian? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbles himself, humbles himself, shall be exalted. Who is God going to lift up? The glorified self, the person that glorifies himself, or the person that humbles himself? It's the person that humbles himself. So, three reasons why we can be oblivious to the underdog. One, self-righteousness. I mean, it goes without saying here. Now, let me tell you how self-righteousness works. It goes like this. You know, that underdog, if he had it together like I have it together, he wouldn't be going through that. If he had all, you know, if he was doing things like I'm doing them, he wouldn't be going through his troubles. Self-righteousness, number one. There's a reason we don't recognize the underdog. Two, self-absorbed self-absorbed. Notice this. I never picked up on this before, but I, look at these I statements. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not as others. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes. You know, I, I, me, 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 me. Look at what I'm doing. Look, 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 look. Me, me. Self-absorbed is the reason we don't see the underdog and his pain and his suffering. Third reason, I think, is money and riches can separate us, can, doesn't have to, can separate us even more from the underdog. Like I said, it doesn't have to. I have met people that have wealth and they share it and they help the underdog. But in some cases, money, you know, here it is. Here, here's the trick. Listen closely. When you assume I must be doing something right, and that's why I have my riches and my blessings, oh, are you in a heap of trouble? You're about to hit rock bottom. 
I must be doing something right or I wouldn't have all this stuff. Well, up there, we've got a, an estate probably worth a quarter million. We're going to split it three ways. Has that got anything to do with the way I'm living? <laughs> no, my mother died and left us the estate. has nothing to do with the way I'm living my life. It's money, yeah. has nothing to do with the way I'm living my life. We just assume that, man, I'm, I'm coming, I've got some blessing, I've got some money here, I'm able to do this, and I must be living right. Are you? Are you? Luke 10 and verse 30. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest. Notice that. Here's your preacher boy. Certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. You know, oops, oh, there's an underdog. Let me go around this way. Pretend like I didn't see that. And by chance there came a certain... Uh, I already went there. Okay, likewise the Levite, another religious person, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Listen, the Samaritan was able to look at the underdog and see himself. Makes all the difference in the world. The Samaritan was able to look at the underdog and see himself. Do you recognize when a person is an underdog? I was driving home a month ago. And, uh, you know, I always feel like i got to get home and do something really important. And, it's, 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 you, know, it's, it is, you know, it's church work. It's outreach. It's vid my office. I've got three or four computers running all at the same time. I've got video editing. I've got CDs printing. I've got books printing off the printing press. I've got a, a really a great office set up. And I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work. But do I see the underdog? This priest was doing the Lord's work, and he didn't see the underdog. Well, I'm driving home in a hurry to get home and do my important work. There's a guy in the middle of the road. He, had a, he was pulling a trailer and, and uh, he had a car on it and about ran into him. And I thought, oh, you idiot. <laughs> I'm going to zip right now. I slammed on brakes, come back, and said, can I help you? And he said, and he said where are you headed? I said, I'm going to Pinhook. He said, well, that's right on my way. I live right on the, just, just, just off the Figsburg Road, could you drop me off? I said, sure. He said, I smell like gas. And he did. He smelled like he'd been dipped in a bucket of gasoline. I said, I, I'm not worried about that. Look at this truck. Look at the inside of it. It's not that clean. You know? So he sit on something. And, you know, it's just sometimes we can be too busy to see the underdog. And thank God that I did take the time to uh, recognize that. Because even the work of the church doesn't get ahead or shouldn't be placed ahead of our ability to see the underdog. Jesus continues in verse 36, Which now of these three do you think was neighboring to him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now like I said, if, if, if I, you know, if me not being a people person and sort of being the type of person that, you know, sort of... I, I, I tolerate people. 
My relationship with people has never been about what can you do for me. But even though I'm not a people person, I try to be nice. I try to listen, and that takes a lot of tolerance on my half. I'm your friend. I treat you with respect. I care about you. I pray for you people. We have all been the underdog, and you will be the underdog again. Try to recognize and see yourself as the underdog. The Samaritan was able to look at the underdog and see himself. And once you do that, go and show mercy. Show the underdog mercy. And maybe like the Rambo movie, the fictitious you know, Rambo movie, maybe if we're good to the underdog, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. We can rejoice when the underdog comes out on top.